So Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and a ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all round, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Um, the, the kind of point of this message and the, the hope of what I wanted to get across, um, we've done it already. We just did it there. The idea of hope and of something ultimate about worship, we, we've just done it. We sang, holy, there is no one like you, open up my eyes and wonder, show me who you are, fill me. We said that we will build our lives on God and we will not be shaken. So whatever we felt when we sang that there, when we joined, did you get what that was? That was us standing as a community. That was us saying that we've chosen to worship God amidst everything else that you've read and are feeling this week. That's what this worship thing does. We just worship God because he's worthy of praise, but man, he somehow pours it back on us and gives us this experience of joining together in peace and in, and in unity. And, um, and I think that's been really important for me this week. I don't know how it's been for you, but like I actually didn't really get the jibs about coronavirus until they canceled James Bond. Like it wasn't the loads of infections thing that was worrying me. I actually, my first feeling of disappointment was they've canceled it until November. And then it doubled when they canceled Fast and Furious. Like, <laughs> this is where I am. 
I've got through really mixed feelings this week. We had the staff meeting, and like, I really do want to credit how the team here are dealing with this, that they've like, deep-cleaned all the stuff around us, and they've met, and they've considered really deeply how we can respond and how we care for people. Um, Dave sat down and shared about being aware, being kind, being wise, and David Shanks has just been buzzling behind the scenes. And for me then, I'd, I just kind of reacted. I brazenly wanted to go to the cinema this week. And I was like, I'm going, I'm doing it. And then I had a conversation with my wife. I didn't go to the cinema this week. <laughs> I bought popcorn, I moped. And then I sort of enjoyed some peace. I threw out my little facts on this thing after I listened to a podcast for an hour. I've got medical research behind me now. I went after the conspiracy theories at 1 a.m. one night, which wasn't really a good idea. <laughs> start to wonder, like, how are my folks doing? How is my granny? You know, my gran's 93. And I, I was concerned, and then I was like, well, my granny also lived through, like, fascism and a Nazi invasion and the threat of nuclear war and the rebranding of opal fruits to Starburst. Like, major, <laughs> major transitions in culture. <laughs> okay. Make a list with, with Ruth on what we'd do for banter if we're isolated. I was like, I'm going to learn Mahjong, some Chinese board game. I'm going to beat my neighbor. I could write to people that I've not forgiven. I'll do that. I could justify a drama every night. It's going to be good. I still think that might work. Oh, and then eventually, I think I just accept like my own busyness and introspection, and I start to ask God, like, what do you have for us? What does this passage have? Like, what is a guy on an island who sounds high talking about worship and prayer offer us. Like, this passage is wild. It's wild. I start to wonder, like, thinking about this message, what on earth can I offer anyone? We think, do I crowbar corona into every part of this passage, or do we just clear it at the start? What do we have to offer? What do we have to give? And after all that, I think I just come to this bit and realize that we are in this together. We have this passage before us, and we have the scripture, and we have the faith that God gives us, and we are in this. And, and I realize that the, the thing that you've come to church for, and the thing that you're feeling, and whatever you're expecting from this talk or this service, is hopefully an indication of what's deeply important to you during this time. So if you came and you're looking for peace, then it sounds like you want to go home and offer peace to people. If you came here to distract your mind and to just get on with the day, it sounds like you're really committed to helping other people just go about their day-to-day -day business well. If you've come because you believe God is top of your thinking and you just need space from everything, it sounds like you want to offer people faith and space. If you came today just full of fear, looking for hope, then you probably want a lot of people to stay alive and not for us to spread a virus to vulnerable people. So, you know, that's the invitation. Take your fear, take your hope, take your wisdom and ask God what he wants to do with it. Ask God to turn your motivation for showing up to this service into something that could be a contribution when we walk out the door. It's like whatever motivation you came here with, it's a good indication of the call you're here to leave with. And th this process shows us part of what's happening in the passage. 
it's, it's part of God stirring in us. He gets us quite clear on what we want from the world, and then we realize what we're meant to go and do. And that's some of how we actually form a meaningful vision and form something that we want to, to act on. The point of having a vision is so whenever what you see around you is shaken, you have something else to look at. That's why I came this morning. I've got plenty to look at. I came to see if there was something else. I came to see if God could offer me something in the middle of all this craziness. Another person put it like this. Your life works to the extent that you live for the hope of a preferred future. I think God's really confident in his vision, and God's really confident in his word. This vision, this passage, this word from God, has lasted generations. This passage, Revelation 4, has lasted thousands of years. It's been spoken through the persecution of Caesar. It's been spoken through plague, through the Reformation, through civil wars, through fascism, through Cold War. And it gives me hope that this word stands. This actually lasts. It gets passed on from generation to generation to generation. And so the beauty of the word of God is that it speaks deeply into us despite the observation that we make about the world that it sits in. So this morning, you know, my preferred future looks like a throne room full of strange beings praising an almighty God who has endless peace and endless authority and an endless kingship. That's what this offers us. Sometimes it's just kind of miserable to compare your life to what seems to surround you. And this ultimate picture of worship and prayer is to give us a vision for now. This passage shows us a vision of heaven, and a vision of heaven offers us a greater vision for here and now. Vision of heaven offers us a greater vision for here and now. So, diving into this passage, because it, it is a wild one. We're going to see, when is this happening? So, this is uh, John. Many think who was the Apostle John, who rested on Jesus' chest closely. Um, a few others think it might be another John, lots of Johns in the day. And he was on the island of Patmos, um, too much at risk to be in Rome, too much at risk of persecution. He's jumped off. But the era, the time that this is in, is after Christ, post-cross, post-resurrection, and before the, the ultimate return of Christ. It's the same time that we're living in. And John... Um, gives this as a prophecy. Now, these prophecies can often be confusing, and a helpful way can be to know that they had relevancy then. Maybe it was sort of, some people see, written in code to help understand the Roman culture, and it was written in a language that the people could understand, and it had meaning then. It also has meaning now. We're in the midst of something, and God is speaking this vision, this passage, prophetically to us now. And a prophecy can also have meaning for an age to come. There's a level of it that might not be fulfilled yet. And so that's a, a tricky but sometimes useful way to address something like revelation. And God uses this vision to create hope in the midst of crisis. Think there's killing Christians. They were boiling people alive in the Colosseums. It was not a fun time to be a Christian back then. Walter Brueggemann says, hope does not need to silence the rumblings of crisis to be hope. 
Hope does not need to silence the rumblings of crisis to be hope. That's the context this was spoken into. And so I start to wonder, well, what's happening in this? Because John has stepped through the doorway, and it's like he's gone into another place. And he returns to his perspective with a changed view. This is like, it's like he goes to a portal. And this is the point of a portal. You step from your current perspective, you go to a new place, you have some experiences, and you come back changed. John had a vision for it, but, but we see it all over the place. Think Harry Potter. Goes through platform nine and three quarters, off he goes to Hogwarts. Life's changed, he goes back home, he's different. We've used this all the time to tell stories as people over history. You've got Dorothy leaving Kansas to go to Oz. You've got the, um, the children leaving the Blitz of London, going through the wardrobe into Narnia, coming back changed. You've got the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. Like This idea is all over the place. People leave the current place they are, they see something else, they return changed, they act different. You leave the familiar, you launch into another place, different rules, you overcome a struggle, you get a vision, you come back. This is why we watch movies, why we play video games, why we step into another world for a short time and we come back, we change. I think this is actually quite a similar journey to what can happen in worship. In some senses, we're not leaving the earth, but we are stepping into some other version of reality that might just give us a bit of a bigger perspective. Because a vision of heaven offers us a greater vision for here and now. God was, was confident enough to use a vision to transform John. The vision of worship and prayer, it works for God. He seems to think it would be the best way to communicate that preferred future. That the beings of heaven are surrounding the throne. John's in the midst of chaos, and, and I imagine those beings would say, like, okay, they're hammering your church, Lord. Um, should we support the prayers of your church and your people? Should we cast down fire on Rome? Should we um, appear as apparitions and put fear into Caesar's heart? Or will we just turn Caesar's heart like we did with um, the, the old King Saul? And God says, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to find this guy. I'm going to visit him. I'm going to give him this vision of what a greater reality looks like. I invite him to write it down and share it with the world. Give John a vision. Get him so far out of his tiny illusion of reality that he'll have no other option but to experience God in a way that will give him a whole new way of looking at the world. He needs a present reminder of his actual reality that he's in. That's what happens when we worship, when we pray. We get a bigger perspective of what's actually around us. We take faith to see that God is in control, that God is here, that God is with us. Vision of heaven offers us a greater vision for here and now. So start to understand, okay, God doesn't just intervene. He throws visions at people. He gets us caught up in a perspective of what's actually happening around him. And he has faith that that's enough to change the heart of a person. I felt changed singing that song there. I thought, man, I've just been fearful and grumpy this week. And then we get up and we sing, holy, there's no one like you. Open up my eyes and wonder. 
God, take me to somewhere that shows me a bigger version of what is happening now, not just what I see on Instagram and on my BBC app. So what's your vision of, of worship and prayer? And how's that going to lead us to, to live a little different today and leave a little different today? What's your vision as we worship and pray and we gather? Maybe it's uh, us singing and stamping away up here and maybe you just have a, a, a sense that when you come to church, it feels okay. That when we worship and pray, it's fine, it's comfortable. And I want to hope that we get a sense of real engagement when we worship. That we have an expression when we worship. That we embody what we're singing. When we're engaging and we say, okay, God, the world is in a mess, but I will praise you and I will come before you. That we feel free to express how we worship. That some of us love to imagine and think and be in our minds. And some of us are really in, the, in our body and we love to throw our hands up and, and make sound. I hope that we would start to honor each other, how we worship and how we pray and how we all get a vision for our lives and where we're going. And so what if we were to start stepping into the vision that God's giving us and we started to ask God to transform how we think about him as we pray, as we worship. If we ask God, I want to engage with you, I want to express worship to you, I want to embody worship in who you are in here and then in day-to-day -day life. What if we could get more of a vision of what was happening in Revelation and we spent a bit of time asking God to speak to us directly just now? So my vision right now was pandemic. And I think God wants to invite us to step into his vision. What could that do to my life if I started to ask him to speak and give me a vision for my life? For a few minutes now, um, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to put the passage up and spend a little bit of time asking God to show us who he is through this passage. Uh, earlier this week, Fraser led us in a, a really good process with the team called Imagining Scripture. So he took us through a passage and he, he invited us to be in that room. Think, where are you sitting? If you were in that throne room, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? What would be going on in you if you were to sit in that throne room? What was it like for John to be there? What would it be like for John, this disciple of Jesus that lay his head on his chest over the dinner table one night and hung out his best friends to then see this figure exalted, glowing with beings bowing down? So what, what we're going to do for a couple of minutes is have the passage up. And I want to invite you, it might be helpful to shut your eyes, it might be helpful just to sit and enjoy it. But to think, where are you in this throne room? What would it be like to be there? What would you see? What would you think? What would you feel? What would you hear? I'm going to read through this passage a couple of times and just take time for a little bit of space to let this speak to us. I invite you to ask God to give you a vision for what worship and prayer looks like. Because that then sets up a, a different vision for our life. And after a couple of moments of that, just start to notice, what do you think God's saying to you? What do you notice God nudging you with?
So read this through. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Where are you in that room right now? What are you seeing? Read this again. Start to ask God what he's saying to you through this. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Where are you in that room and what is God now saying to you? What are you noticing? What could be your vision in light of that vision? What does our response to a pandemic look like if we're sitting in the throne room? How do you want to live worship and pray in light of this passage. A vision of heaven offers us a greater vision for here and now. might be helpful to stay with what you feel God's saying to you. It might be helpful to keep reading this passage. But my encouragement and what I want to leave us with is to ask what vision could we have now? This vision of heaven gives us a greater vision for here and now. So as we worship, as we pray, let's engage with God. Let's express our worship. Let's embody what he said to us.